Gospels, if you haven't done so already, and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 4, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. So turn to the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter number 4. We are back in Acts. We're going to pick up where we left off. And just in case you don't remember where we left off, Peter and John went to pray in the temple. And as they were on their way in through the gate beautiful there, they encountered a man who had been lame since birth. And his routine was every day they would carry him to this gate and he would beg uh, for alms. He would beg for help, beg for money uh, from passers-by. And Peter and John didn't have any money to offer him, but instead they introduced the man to the name of Jesus Christ. They, Peter grabbed him by the arm, pulled him up, and the man leapt to his feet. And immediately his feet and ankle bones, as the Bible says, received strength, and he began walking and leaping and praising God. No physical therapy, nothing. Just started right off walking and leaping and praising God. And it was an incredible miracle that caused quite a stir in the temple to see this man who for years had been sitting there at the gate. The people in the temple recognized him and knew him, and now he's leaping around and causing quite a scene. And so a crowd gathered, and Peter preached to that crowd that there's power in the name of Jesus Christ, whom they had crucified and whom God had raised from the dead. He tells them it is the only name by which we can be saved. It's the only name by which we can be set free from the guilt and punishment of our sin. And this leads us into chapter 4. If you recall last time I told you that we were breaking this chapter into four sections, but it was a little bit too long to fit into one message. So last time we looked at the first two sections. We looked at the incarceration of Peter and John. They were arrested while they were preaching. They were arrested for preaching. Uh, and the people that heard the preaching were affected by that preaching, and many people were saved that day. We talked about how we don't know for sure whether the 5,000 men that the Bible mentions there means that 5,000 additional people were saved on that day, whether it means just men or whether it means men and women, or whether it's a, just a total role of the church in Jerusalem, 5,000 total Christians. Regardless, uh, it's a lot of people that got saved as a result of Peter preaching this message there. Secondly, we looked at the interrogation of Peter and John by the Sanhedrin, by the council, the very same council that questioned Jesus and, and put him, uh, condemned him to be crucified. They asked him the very same question. They said, by what power, by what authority do you do these things? Did you perform this miracle? And Peter gives the inspired response there, uh, his reply was strong, it was scriptural, it was sound, and it was a singular reply. It was all about the power in the name of Jesus Christ, the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. And then we looked at the remarkable testimony of Peter and John, how that though they were common, uneducated men, the council realized that these men have been with Jesus. They had a remarkable testimony because they had been with Jesus. And they could not explain away the remarkable transformation of the lame man who was now leaping in front of their very eyes. He was over 40 years old. And now we're picking up in verse 15. We're going to read down through verse 22 together and continue on with this message dealing with opposition. Look at verse 15. It says, 
But when they, the Sanhedrin, had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightway or straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done, for the man was above forty years old, on whom this miracle of healing was showed. I've entitled this message, which we've broken into parts. We're in part two this morning, Dealing with Opposition. It doesn't take very long for the church in Jerusalem to, to run up against some opposition to their message. And today we're going to continue where, they, where we left off. Peter and John faced fierce opposition. They were arrested by their own people. They were jailed. They were imprisoned and questioned, interrogated like criminals. Why? Because they preached in the name of Jesus. All for preaching in the name of Jesus. Little did they know, if you know the book of Acts at all, little did they know this was just the beginning of the opposition that they would face. Folks, we are not exempt from opposition. As a matter of fact, we are promised in Scripture in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We as Americans know very little of what true persecution really is. We've seen very little opposition. Yes, we face ridicule and we face rejection and people call us names, but no one in this room, to my knowledge, has ever been arrested for handing out gospel tracts or for talking about Jesus. Yet the more we speak his name and the darker our society around us becomes, the more opposition we will face. There is a battle to be fought. There's a very real adversary out there. And it's not the man in the White House. It's not a representative in Congress. It's not the Democrat Party. It's not the liberal movement. They are just flesh and blood. The battle we are fighting is a spiritual one. Remember what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Peter and John give us a marvelous example of standing in the face of opposition and dealing with opposition in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Notice, first of all, the council tries intimidation. Intimidation. In verses 15 through 22, it says, When they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them 
that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done, for the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. This whole message today is focusing on the intimidation that the council attempts on Peter and John here. First of all, they have a, a confidential discussion. A confidential discussion. They sent Peter and John outside the council chamber for a minute so they could discuss the situation amongst themselves. This wasn't a discussion of whether or not Peter's message was accurate and true, by the way. This was a discussion of how they're going to handle these two men in this miracle. This was a discussion on the narrative that they were going to try to spin. These men had already, these men, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders there, had already cemented their rejection of Christ while he walked among them. They challenged the authority of his name then, and they had no change of heart now. Recall Matthew 21 and verses 23 through 27, when he, Jesus, was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves. Do you ever picture the, the religious leaders having a little huddle? You know, They reasoned with themselves saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people. For all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. This was nothing new. They had a track record of rejecting God's work. And they remained consistent in that with Peter and John. The hardness of their hearts caused them to miss the most miraculous and wonderful truth of all, that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and that there is power in His name, power to transform lives and save souls from an eternity of torment in a very real place called hell. John 20, verse 31, tells us about the power in Jesus' name to free us from sin and guilt and to give us life. It says, But these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. In His name we can have and know the complete confidence of our home in heaven. 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And at His name, on that great and glorious day, all will finally submit and bow. Philippians 2, 9 says, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him, that's Jesus Christ, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, 
and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the terrifying truth that we find in God's Word is this, that all men have the opportunity to humble themselves and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and forgiveness of sin while they yet live. But if they reject Him, as these religious leaders did, if they resist and rebel against the name of Jesus Christ, they will see Him one day in His glory as their judge. And they will bow before Him that day. And they will confess Him as Lord on that day but they will be cast into hell for their sin. That's a penalty Christ has already paid for all men. There's a pardon made available to all men for sin. But they refuse to call on His name in faith. That's the terrifying truth of God's Word, that all men can be saved if only they would believe but all men will be judged if they don't. It's not some fairy tale that I'm spinning. It's right here in the Bible for all to see. It's the very same message that Peter and John preached, that Jesus Christ of Nazareth is risen from the dead and He is the Messiah, the Christ. He is the righteous judge. Revelation 20, verses 11-15 through 15 says, I saw a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. These men, regardless of the fact that they had seen Jesus face to face and witnessed all of his miracles and heard the truth that he preached, regardless of the fact that Peter and John now stood before them preaching the very same truth, declaring the very same name, they rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected the fact that there is power in the name of Jesus. What are you doing with that truth? There is power in the name of Christ. Power to save. Power to set free from the bondage of sin. Power to take away your guilt and your shame. And power to give you eternal life that no man can take from you. What are you doing with that truth? Are you denying it? Or are you trusting in it? They had a confidential discussion. What are we going to do about this? Then they, you see their concern of distribution. After they had their little fact check meeting, their primary concern was damage control. How can we keep this from spreading? How can we keep this from spreading? The lame man had drawn a lot of attention, obviously. And they weren't as concerned with him, nor were they so concerned with Peter and John, the two uneducated fishermen. What they were really concerned about was the spread of the gospel. How can we keep this from spreading, that there's power in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Folks, 
the devil and the world care very little about the details of your life. They're really not impressed that you liked a, re a religious quote on Facebook or that you decorate your house with spiritual type things. They're really not too concerned that you're in church this morning. You are welcome to be as Christian as you like and as spiritual as you like. You are welcome to live that life so long as you keep it to yourself. The devil and the world are not bothered by Christians. They're bothered by the spread of the gospel. And it's a shame that many Christians behave and talk as if the gospel is just another idea or a legend or a fairy tale. They don't act like it's a big deal at all. There's a tale told of the great English actor McCready, and an eminent preacher at the time came up to him and said, I wish you would explain something to me. And the actor replied, well, what is it? I don't know if I could explain anything to a preacher. Tell me the difference between you and me. You are appearing before crowds night after night with fiction, and the crowds come to see you wherever you go. I am preaching the essential and unchangeable truth, and I'm not getting any crowd at all. McCready's answer was this. Oh, that's quite simple. I can tell you the difference between you and I. I present my fiction as though it were truth, and you present your truth as though it were fiction. Perhaps we haven't been opposed as Christians in this country because we're not very zealous in sharing the truth of the gospel. Or when we do speak the truth, we present it as though it were fiction. They had a, conf a confidential discussion there because they were concerned with the distribution of the gospel message. They weren't really worried about Peter and John. They weren't really worried about the layman. Their concern was, how do we keep this message from spreading? How can we put a lid on this thing? There's transforming, saving power in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the risen Savior, and they did not want that to spread. And so they gave them a cease and desist order. They came to their consensus. They came to their consensus and called Peter and John back in and told them to cease and desist. They commanded them, do not speak to anyone in this name again. Notice they said, in this name. They meant the name of Jesus, by the way. They, they didn't say the name of Jesus, but they said, do not speak in this name any longer. They could speak in the name of anybody but the name of Jesus. They were to speak the name of Jesus to nobody, never or else, is what the council is saying. What do you think you would do if the most powerful man or men in our society gave you such a command? You may not speak in the name of Jesus. What are you doing now? Nobody's told you not to, have they? D.L. Moody once spoke with a woman who didn't like his method of evangelism. So D.L. Moody said, I don't really like my method that much either. What's your method? And the woman said, well, I don't really have a method. And he said, well, I, I like mine better than yours. Someone wrote, how often the opportunity to speak a word of testimony for Christ is lost because we remain silent. Those who need to hear the gospel may conclude 
that salvation is not important enough to talk about. Nobody's ordered us to be quiet. And yet, so often we are. But look at the example of Peter and John, their conscientious dissent. Peter and John once again state their case. In verses 19 and 20 it says, But Peter and John answered, And said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Their conscientious dissent was, first of all, that they had a higher calling. They had a higher calling. They were standing in front of a group of men, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin. Those men liked to think that they spoke on God's behalf, that they spoke for the God of Israel. But Peter and John knew the truth that these men were men. They were just men. They knew the principle. It is better to obey God than men. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. When we are doing God's work his way, we can expect his watch care over us. Romans 8, 31 says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? I love the promises that God gave to Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 8, where it says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. The Lord, whose opinion matters more to you? God's or man's? Peter and John said, we have a higher calling. We are called by God to preach this message. Looking back on your own life, your actions, your words, your priorities, Answer that question again. Whose opinion matters most to you? God's or man's? Who's really calling the shots in your life? God or men? They had a higher calling. And they had a holy commission. A holy commission. That phrase there, we cannot but speak, could be literally translated, we are not able not to speak. We can do nothing else than speak. We are not able not to speak about this. They were commanded to stop speaking in the name of Jesus, and the reply was simple. We cannot stop speaking in the name of Jesus, period. No opposition would phase them. No moratorium would stop them. They knew the supremacy of their mission, and they determined to accomplish it by any means necessary. We cannot help but speak in this name. A missionary to Africa told the story of an elderly woman who was reached with the gospel. She was blind. She couldn't read or write, but she wanted to share her faith with others. She went to the missionary and asked for a copy of the Bible in French. And when she got it, 
Recall she's blind. She asked the missionary to underline John 3.16 in red and mark the page so that she could find it. The missionary wanted to see what she would do, so one day he followed her. In the afternoon, just before school let out, she made her way to the front door of the school, and as the boys came out when school was dismissed, she would stop one and say, Young man, can you read French? And when he would say yes, she would open her Bible and ask him to read the verse that was marked in red. And then she would say, Do you know what that means? And tell him about Christ. The missionary said that 24 of the schoolboys that lady led to the Lord became pastors. She was blind, couldn't read or write, but was determined to share the gospel. Are you speaking up for Jesus Christ? Peter and John's reply is so convicting, isn't it? We are not able not to speak in this name. We can't do that. We're not able to do that. We can't keep quiet. We must preach the gospel. It's said that only one person is reached for Christ for every 85 church members in America. Are you the one or the 84? Do you share the gospel? John Harper was a Scottish preacher. He was aboard the Titanic. When the ship hit the iceberg and sank, Harper was left clinging to a piece of driftwood. As he was out in the darkness, a man drifted close to him, and Harper shouted, Are you saved? The man replied, No. And the preacher said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And they drifted apart. But shortly, they came back together again. And Harper said, Are you saved? And the man said, No. Again, the preacher replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Very shortly after that, Harper slipped under the waves and went home to be with his Lord and Savior. The other man was rescued by the SS Carpathia and later testified that he was John Harper's last convert. With his dying breath, John Harper gave the gospel. He could not keep quiet. There's a man, a preacher, pastored for 40-some years in Saginaw, Michigan, north of where I grew up. I didn't meet him until several years ago. He's my favorite preacher. And he started having trouble with his voice. He, when, when I first started listening to him preach, he stretched me a little bit because he got excited, <laughs> yelled. He was very, very pointed in his preaching. But if you got to know him, you'd just, you would realize how much he truly loved people. He was a soul winner, constantly leading people to the Lord since he was a boy. He started having trouble with his voice, and you know they, they kept checking it out and, and things like that. And, and so he just kept right on preaching. It, it got scratchy, and eventually it got to the point where he could only whisper. It turns out he has cancer in his throat. And on Monday, was it Monday? Friday. Friday, on Friday, he went in to have surgery to remove the cancer, and in so doing, they removed his vocal cords. And as he went into the surgery, he grabbed the nurse that was checking him in, and he said in a whisper, this might be the last opportunity I have to do this. 
but are you sure you're going to heaven when you die? And he led that nurse to the Lord. With his last words, he gave the gospel. He could not not speak in the name of Christ. And then they make, the Sanhedrin makes a conflicted discharge. They threaten them. They couldn't find any reason to punish them. The man was above 40 years old that was healed. Peter and John were not breaking any laws. They had done nothing worthy of arrest. They had simply preached in the name of Jesus Christ. And on top of that, they were popular. Due to the miracle that, that had been performed and the, the, the publicity of it, the council were just really politicians. And they were more concerned with the people's opinion about them than they were with doing the right thing. And so they couldn't do anything against Peter and John because they were afraid of what the people might do or think. So they released, they released them. It's interesting to note here in Acts chapter 4 that they, they state, they admit, they could not explain away this miracle. We can't say anything against this. It's obvious. He was in his 40s. He had been lame since birth. And now he was just as able as any other man. You know, the world can try to explain away a lot of things, but they can't explain away a life that is transformed by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Share your testimony. Tell others about what Jesus has done for you. Do you realize that's one of your most powerful soul-winning tools? You don't have to know 12 steps. You don't have to have all that memorized. It's helpful to have the verses memorized. But the world cannot explain away a life that is transformed by Christ. Declare His goodness to a lost and dying world. Let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Let me tell you, my coworker, why I can have peace in the midst of such a troubling circumstance. Why, even though things aren't going the way I'd like them to go at home, or even though things aren't going the way I'd like them to go in society, or even though I'm heartbroken over this, I still, I know the Lord, and I trust Him. And let me tell you about that. Give an answer for the hope that is within you, because they cannot explain away the change that He's made in you. They could say nothing against this thing. It was a grown adult man who was now leaping and praising God. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Only He has the power to save. Are you sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? This preacher is preaching to himself. I don't know if I could say I cannot help but preach the gospel. I can preach it here every single Sunday boldly without fail. But it's a different matter, isn't it? One-on-one. -on -one. We cannot not speak in this name. Shouldn't our conviction be the same? We are not able to keep quiet. We must preach the gospel. It's a sobering thing to think 
that in this country, you don't realize this, but it's true, because of some Supreme Court decisions that were made, we have more religious freedom now than we've had in 50 years. And we still don't preach the gospel. And Peter and John didn't let the opposition phase them. Our brothers and sisters across the world who are literally being persecuted for their faith, don't let the opposition stop them. I believe we'll be held accountable one day for our silence. Shouldn't our conviction be we are not able to keep quiet? God help us be bold in giving the gospel to those that he surrounded us with. Let's bow our heads this morning. As the piano plays quietly, we, I'm sure it's not a message I can preach without feeling the conviction of the Spirit. I'm sure He's working in your heart as well. Take some time now. Respond to Him. Talk to the Lord about this thing. And give this matter over to him that we would be Christians that can't help but share that there's power in the name of Jesus. We'll have our invitation in a moment, but you take this time.